Is buy and hold investing dead? Can we pick a portfolio perhaps of low cost index funds, come up with an asset allocation and stick to it for decades? Or is that kind of investing a thing of the past? That's the question we're going to tackle in today's video. And it comes from a Wall Street Journal article. Let me show it to you. We'll look at this in some detail. Your set it and forget it 401k made you rich. No more. That's the question. This article was emailed to, to me by a viewer, and I've had a number of other folks email me about this very article. We're going to tackle that in today's video. Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Berger. This is the Financial Freedom Show, where we talk about investing, retirement, and financial freedom. If those topics are important to you, I encourage you to subscribe to the channel. I also send out an e email a newsletter. It's free. I, it goes out every Sunday morning. You've got a link below this video if you'd like to sign up. As we walk through this article, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, I think the most important sentence in this article is probably one that no one paid any attention to, and it led me to a different memo written by a very well-known value investor. I'm going to show you that as part of this video. We'll get to it. But as we walk through this article, there's something probably more important than the actual topic we're going to discover or discuss. And it's this. Uh, we're going to see a lot of, of facts, of figures, of data in this article. And I don't take issue with any of them. I think they're accurate, as far as I can tell. But as an investor, we have to first look at that data. But the real question becomes, what, if anything, should we do about it? And that's actually both the more important question, but also, I think, the harder question to answer but we're going to try to do that in today's video. So let's dive right into this article. It was published uh, uh, um, in the Wall Street Journal. And uh, it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you ahead of time that the title doesn't fit the article because the author actually, I, th I think, reaches the opposite conclusion that, that, yeah, you can still do buy and hold investing. Yet you've got this title that suggests you can't. All right, let's walk through it. And I just want to cover the highlights of this article. And it begins with this chart right here here that I've highlighted in orange there and then the chart. It's the 10-year real, meaning after inflation, return for U.S. stocks based on their starting where they started in terms of the Schiller P.E. ratio. Now, the Schiller P.E. ratio, Schiller's the, the professor that came up with this idea. And what he did was he said, look, the P.E. is just price to earnings. The, you know, the cost of a stock divided by its earnings, let's say, over the last uh, 12 months. And what, what Schiller came up with, he said, look, that's not long enough. We really want to go back 10 years. We want to see a full economic cycle. Let's go back 10 years. Now, to do that, we have to adjust the earnings in each of those years for inflation. To, so we're kind of comparing apples to apples. But we'll do that, and we'll calculate the P.E. Uh, based on that 10-year earnings period. I can actually show it to you. Here it is. This is his website. And uh, you can see the, the blue lines, just the Schiller PE. We're currently at 28.56, by no means the highest, but certainly well above the average. And you can see uh, it's actually in line with Black Tuesday, that is the stock market crash of 1929. It's well above Black Monday. You've got to love the, the titles we give to these market crashes. That was 1987 when... The market fell by more than 20% uh, in a single day. But it's, it's certainly below, well below recent highs. And of course, this is the tech bubble right here. But we can't argue uh, with the point. 
stocks, quote, I'll put, I'm, I'm going to put stocks in quotes because we have to ask, well, what do we mean by stocks? We'll look at that. But if we go back to this uh, Wall Street Journal article, we're no doubt in this most, ex most expensive bar right here. And so if, if history repeats itself, we can expect uh, that for the next 10 years, it may not come out to exactly what you see here, uh, but probably uh, the returns on stocks won't be as high as they were in the previous 10 years. Now, again, we got to say, well, what are stocks? And that's really important. The P-E ratio is a ratio for the S&P 500, obviously a very important index. But I have to tell you, I don't know a single investor that puts all of their money in the S&P 500 index. I certainly don't. I have uh, an international fund that has a significantly lower uh, P.E. I have a small cap fund. It too has a significantly lower uh, P.E. I do own some uh, value stocks, both individually and as part of a Schwab uh, dividend ETF. And so if I were to calculate my uh, overall uh, PE, it would be a lot lower. And if you're wanting to know, you know, what's your overall PE, you can use tools to figure that out. Of course, you could calculate it by hand if you wanted to, but I would suggest Empower. It's a free uh, uh, financial dashboard. It can actually do budgeting, track your credit cards, your mortgage, uh, and everything else. But it also looks at your investments. You can connect retirement and taxable accounts, uh, pull it in, and it will show you a lot of data about your portfolio as a whole. It's a tool I've used for about a decade. In any event, the point is, yes, uh, the Schiller PE is at an all-time high, but that probably doesn't reflect your particular portfolio. By the way, it's a, po a point this author makes later as we'll, we'll look in a minute, but uh, it's something that I wanna stress. I think the Schiller PE is an interesting data point, and I take, uh, you know, it's where we talk about the data on, on one side and how it applies to us specifically and what, if anything, we should do about it. I don't take any issue with the data. I assume they did the math correctly at the Wall Street Journal. Of course, maybe they didn't, but I'll assume that they did. It's just that this has absolutely no application to my portfolio, at least not in any meaningful sense. Yes, uh, I have total stock market, which is close to an S&P 500 in terms of performance, but that doesn't reflect my portfolio as a whole. But fine, some stocks are at an all-time high and I think that's a point worth noting. Now, where I think things get kind of interesting, I want to focus first on this first orange highlight. He says, an investor who put $1,000 into a 60-40 portfolio at the end of 1981, even after adjusting for inflation, had $18,728 by the end of 2020. Now, he picks this very specific time, right? The end of 1981. That's going to be very important in our story today. I want to skip the blue the blue uh, highlight for a minute. I want to come down here to this second orange. When he says a family setting aside uh, $1,000, but this time they're doing it in 1965. Right? That by, by January 1982, so just a little bit of overlap from the, the first uh, uh, scenario he spelled out. After inflation, they had less money than they started with, only $785. Now, that really gets at a couple of important points. The first is most investors today don't really, and myself included, by the way, don't know what, it, what it's like in that uh, economic environment. Because remember, from 1965 to 1982, what was going on, we had massive inflation. In fact, I can show it to you. I got this from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Here's their chart of inflation. 
Of course, we're, we're over here and it was very low for a long time. It, as we all know, it spiked up, what, it hit about 9% or thereabouts, I guess maybe not quite, but it, it's down now to like 3.7, I think, or 3.8, so it's fallen. But look at the 70s. This, I, you know, I do remember this time. I wasn't investing until the early 80s and I bought a six-month CD, I think in 1982, that paid 16%. So I do have some familiarity with this, but I certainly obviously wasn't investing from 1965. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old. Okay. Uh, you know, to, to deal with this kind of, I'll call it sideways market, it was a very ugly time to invest, not only because there were a number of market crashes. That's, you know, there've been a number of market crashes in the last 20 years. So that's not, un, you know, new to us, but 73, 74, for example, pretty rough time. But the real big issue was inflation. And you can see it went well into the double digits uh, in two different periods and stayed there for a number of years as well. But even when it was below that, it was well between five and 10%. Very, very high. And it was rough for retirees. It was rough for investors. And so if we go back to his, his article, he's making the point, look, we can go through some very bad investing times that last a very long period of time. And uh, absolutely true. And if we were to go through a period of really high inflation that lasted for a decade, things would be very, very ugly for retirees, uh, for consumers, just in general, the economy would be very, very bad. The question then becomes, and this is where I take issue with his article, he says in red, things aren't looking much better today. And well, we definitely have some issues but if he's going to compare us now to the, to the 65 to 82 period, what he must believe is that we're in store for, for extended, very high inflation, much higher, by the way, than what we have today. What we have today is child's play compared to the 1970s and early uh, 1980s. Now, I'm not here to tell you that, that, that what happened then can't happen today. And one could make the argument that says, hey, Rob, maybe we're facing that because have you noticed our government doesn't seem to be able to budget, budget, budget balance its checkbook? Uh, it's spending money left and right, trillions of dollars in debt added every year. Absolutely. And I'll be the first one to say, I can't predict what in the world that might mean for our economy. Is it a concern to me? You bet. But at least at the moment, there doesn't seem to be any indication that we're heading to 1970s and early 1980s inflation. Of course, time will tell, but I don't see any indication that we're headed there right now. And I think that's probably what it would take to see a repeat of that time. At least that's my opinion. Perhaps this author disagrees. He seems to. He seems to think we're not looking much better than today. And I just don't see it that way. Here's the ultimate takeaway for this article for me, and then I want to get to that last point where I think there's a memo that's frankly much more interesting. His final conclusion is this. Investors also don't have to just buy the pricey S&P 500. Well, that's kind of the point I made at the start of the video. He says, which is dominated by the magnificent seven tech stocks. Small caps, emerging markets, and value stocks offer the benefit of diversification at what seems like much cheaper prices. So a couple of points to make here. First of all, if you're in the S&P 500, you are in value stocks, right? The S&P 500 is a blend. It's tilted more towards growth at the moment because of those magnificent seven he talked about. But there's plenty of value stocks in the S&P 500. But more to the point, if you have a well-diversified portfolio, think total U.S. stock market, which includes small cap and mid cap, both value and growth, and you have an international 
fund, which I believe in very strongly, as I've said on this channel many times, which by the way, would include among other things, emerging markets. You have a very well diversified portfolio. Your, your overall PE is likely not to look anything like uh, the Schiller PE. And if you were to tilt your portfolio in some ways, again, I, I'm not, uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer in tilting a portfolio, perhaps towards value, maybe towards small cap. I don't take that to extremes, but I have about 10% of our portfolio in a small cap fund. That further lowers uh, the, the PE of our, our overall portfolio. So I totally agree with the sentiments in, in his article as he reflects it here. It's just that I think what, maybe, maybe this was the editors, it's just that this title, I think, is very misleading. I think a set it and forget it portfolio is, is just as sound today as it has been at any time. It's just that we have to recognize as buy and hold investors, we're gonna go through good times and bad times. And the question is, can you hold on? By the way, you know, a lot has been said of investors of Berkshire Hathaway, you know, Warren Buffett's company. And if you invested in that back in the 60s or 70s, you're worth a quadrillion, is that a word? You're worth a lot of money today. What gets overlooked though, is that to have that pot of gold at the end of the, the Berkshire Hathaway rainbow, you had to hold on during some very bad times, including times when, yes, Berkshire Hathaway fell by 50%. It happened a couple of times. And in fact, during the tech bubble run-up, a lot of people were saying Warren Buffett had lost, lost his way. He was just too old. He didn't understand new tech. Of course, uh, history proved that he was right and they were wrong. But you had to go through a lot of difficult times as a Berkshire Hathaway investor to get to that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And I think that's true with investing generally. So that's my overall take on this article. Now I wanna dig into what I think is actually the most interesting sentence. It's this blue one. You have to have been working for more than 43 years and thus be over 65. By the way, again, for the record, I am not over 65. To have seen a prolonged period that was otherwise, referring to this rosy period uh, where $1,000 from 81 turned into 18,000 in 2020. Investor Howard Marks, the co-founder of Oak Tree Capital Management wrote in a recent uh, note to clients. Now I, had, I went and looked this note up. Howard Marks is a very well-known value investor. He's someone that I follow. I, I, I read his writing. I've listened to a number of his interviews. Obviously a very uh, knowledgeable investor. And uh, you know he goes back to sort of the junk bond period in the late 70s, he really got into the credit and fixed income, uh, perhaps one of his areas of, of expertise. And I actually hunted down the memo where he said uh, what I just quoted you. I'm gonna leave a link to that memo below the video, but I want to show it to you here. Here it is. This is what I'll link to. Further thoughts on sea changes. I think this is an extremely important memo to read. I'll give you briefly the highlights. He asked the question, and he asked this question of, of other investors, what's the most significant economic event that has occurred in your lifetime? And he says a lot of folks will say the tech bubble, uh, you know, that crashed or maybe the Great Recession, things like that. He thinks, and I agree with him, for whatever that's worth, that the, actually the most significant event has been the fact that from, say, 1982 to the present, or to, to a year and a half ago anyway, interest rates were going down, right? For 40 years, we started well into the double digits in 1982, and they've slowly gone down and stayed low for a very, very, very long time until about a year and a half ago. 
And as we know, as interest rates go down, the value of assets go up. The way he described it is this. In an environment where interest rates are either falling or are very, very low, investing is like walking on those, you know, those walkways at the airport that kind of move you forward a little faster so that when you're walking on it, it seems easy, but you're going a lot faster, right? That walkway are interest rates. They're making investing easier, right? They're making borrowing easier. They're making uh, investments uh, by businesses and by consumers uh, easier as interest rates fall and stay low, asset values go up. Of course, now, and this is the point of Howard Marks' memo, that's changed. Interest rates, of course, as we all know, along with inflation, have gone up. It's almost as if we were walking down that walkway, enjoying the nice, easy walk, and all of a sudden we had to turn around and walk the other way. We had to walk against the walkway. That's what it's like investing when interest rates are rising or high. And that's the point of his memo. Now, two things, two big takeaways. The first thing he says is, look, and this is where I think the author for the Wall Street Journal article kind of missed it. Howard Marks says, look, I'm not suggesting we're heading back to the kind of interest rate environment we had and the inflationary environment we had in the 70s and early 80s. He makes that point abundantly clear in his memo. He, in fact, he doesn't think we're, gonna, we're headed that way, but at the same time, he also thinks the days of ultra-low interest rates are over. And again, I'm not one to predict interest rates, but I think there's probably a good argument that he's right. And uh, the idea that we're going to go back to a Fed rate that's effectively zero, uh, it, it doesn't seem very, very likely. And that gets us to the question uh, that I started the show with is, okay, if that's true, what's it mean to you and me? What as investors should we do? Here's what Howard Mark says, and it's probably not the answer you were expecting to hear. He thinks we should move a significant part of our portfolio, he never says how much, into, are you ready for this? High yield corporate bonds, high yield corporate bonds. These are otherwise known as junk bonds. These are bonds issued by companies that are not considered investment grade. It doesn't mean they're gonna go bankrupt tomorrow and many companies that fall into that category may surprise you. But what he says is, look, right around now, you can get about eight, eight and a half percent yield, which is approaching the kind of long-term returns you would get from equities, but without, in his view, the risks that equities pose today, given their higher valuations that we looked at. So that's his argument. He thinks you can get near uh, the yield or the return of, of long-term equities without uh, the risk. Now, I find that a very interesting idea. Have I run off and put money into high-yield funds? I have not. But I want to show you two things. I'm going to show you the Vanguard high-yield bond fund. I once owned shares of this. It's been a long time. I don't own any now. And uh, here it is. This is just one example. 23 basis points, which actually is incredibly cheap for a, for a high-yield bond fund. Um, and its current yield, 7.74%. So that's a bit below what Howard Marks had indicated. But of course, this is just one mutual fund. And uh, actually, let's look at Admiral shares. Was I looking at the wrong one? Oh, yeah, it was. That was investor shares, which we wouldn't buy. So it's actually only 13 basis points. That's really cheap. And of course, that results in a higher yield. That's even better. Look at that, 7.84%. I am going to be looking more into high yield. Will I run off and invest money in high yield? I don't know. These are not the kind of changes I make quickly. But I wanted to point that out. That's Howard Mark's view, and I'll leave a link to that memo. The final thing as we end this video is something that I think is really important. I think there is a very, very, very strong case to be made 
that we shouldn't do anything, that we shouldn't make any changes or certainly not any significant changes. Because here's the reality, in any buy and hold investment, there are going to be good times and there are going to be bad times. Now, we have two, two reactions to that. We can basically do nothing, which can be very hard to do, but it's been my approach for the most part through 30 years of investing. Or we can try to figure out what's going to go in the economy, where interest rates are, where inflation is, and try to make tactical asset allocation changes uh, to deal with uh, what's going on in the market. The problem with that approach is that it's very, very, very difficult to consistently execute that approach in a way that after costs and you know fees and taxes, you end up better off than if you would have just sat there and done nothing. And for that, I wanna give you an example. We're gonna look at Portfolio Visualizer, and we're looking at, um, I'll show it to you now. We're looking at a total stock market portfolio, and um, it gives us data from 1972 to 2009, and you can see it had a compound annual growth rate of about 10%. And this is just U.S. stock market, 100%. What I want to show you is this. Whoops, I didn't show you all the data. Let's go all the way to 23. Try that again. I think it's just over 10%. Yeah, 10.32. What I want to show you is 2000 to 2009. Why am I showing you this? Because remember... Uh, if we go back to the P-E ratio, remember it was really high here, right? Right around 2000, that was a tech bubble. So I want to show us investing in a total stock market portfolio when, when, when the Schiller P-E was the highest it's ever been, right? And if we go back to this article, we know that when it's high, real returns are usually low, all right, for the next decade. And it turns out with those that decade, the first decade, uh, look at that. Were they low? Oh my goodness, negative. Negative 0.27 was the compound annual growth rate, according to uh, Portfolio Visualizer, from 2000 to 2009. So it actually it proves the data. But here's the point. If you had just said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to take it on the chin. I'm a long-term investor. Uh, I have other investments. This was probably not your only stock investment. If you had international, maybe you had some extra in small cap, you had some bonds. So that negative 0.27 wasn't your portfolio return. Now, let's extend it. We're going to start at that worst time. We'll leave that alone. But now we're going to go to today. And that today includes the bad market from last year, right? Analyze the portfolio. And now we've got a, a compound annual growth rate of 6.68. Again, not as well as uh, the historical average, but remember, I cherry-picked the starting period to the worst time, according to the P.E. Schiller, in the history of, of, the, of, that, uh, of the Schiller P.E. And it was still 6.68%. Of course, we had to wait out the bad times. I think, for most investors, myself included, the best approach is the set it and forget it that at least the title of the Wall Street article uh, claimed uh, was no longer valid. I think it's as valid today as it ever was. I think if there's part of your portfolio that you might want to move in when valuations are high to some lower valuations, I think that's okay. I would try to minimize that. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be moving my whole portfolio. I want to keep the core of my portfolio in a, in a broad-based U.S. and international and bonds market approach and leave it there no matter what's happening. If there's 10 or 20% that 
that you want to move around judiciously, perhaps to lower valuation investments, or maybe, I don't know, high yield bonds, corporate bonds, perhaps. I'm going to look at that in more detail and we'll have another video on that uh, with more details in the future. I think that's okay. But at the end of the day, I believe, set it and forget it, is as valid today as it's ever been. Well, that's at least my view on how I invest. Uh, if you have any questions, leave them in the comments below. I'd be happy to help you out any way I can. And until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom.